You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Well, we are here to to sing of his majesty. We're we're also here to lift up his word and to learn from the text. And so I'm so excited you're here today, but I want to start by just giving you a disclaimer. We are about to handle one of the texts that could sound like one of the most self-serving sermons you will ever hear. Listen now, remain standing to to the word of God. and, And here is what I want to say before we even read it. For those who know me, I, I, I think you'll know my motives in preaching this as we work through the text. If you're a guest here, I, I hope that you, you'll see that our desire is to, to handle all of God's word well. With that said, listen now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Here's what the word of God says. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, with that said, let's stop there and let's have a seat. Now, I want to set some things up for you by telling you about years ago when I was, when I was working at Albertsons. Now, most of you know I, I, I worked at Albertsons for about 11 years and ha- had a handful of different responsibilities there. But for a number of years, I, I was the produce department manager, which is actually, I love the job. I learned a ton, ate a lot of produce, and it was a good job. But if you've ever worked in kind of like a a corporate kind of retail or grocery business, you'll know that sometimes, sometimes there's a lot of tension between those who are in the store and those who are leaders over a region. Here's what it looked like. Sometimes we would have a really great regional manager and they would be there to have our back and to help us. And they were like, they were a blessing to work with, right? But sometimes we would have a regional manager who, you know, they knew everything and no one else knew anything. You ever met that kind of person? They would be the kind of person that they would, regardless of where your store was, look, where it was located, regardless of the clientele you had, regardless of the expertise or even the access to different items you had, they would want to come in and they would want to make sure your produce department was set up exactly to their specifications. And so here's how it often would work. We would find out that they were going to come at a certain time, and so we would put our department to match their specifications perfectly. And they would come in, and they would still tell us all the things we were doing wrong, and then they would leave. And then after they left, we would put everything back the way we knew it should be, right? And honestly, with some of these uh, regional managers, they, they kind of had such a chip on their shoulder that, that they're coming and then they're leaving. It caused a lot of employees, a lot of frustration. They, the employees would speak not highly of these leaders. In fact, they, there was a sense of despising them. There was a sense of like, why don't you go and do your thing and let us alone to do our thing? Now, that was my experience in, in the, the grocery business, but, but sometimes that's the experience in a church. You ever been a part of a church where there is tension between the leaders and, and the church at large? Have you ever been part of a church where, where the leadership might be a little bit off the mark and so they're kind of walking around with a chip on their shoulder? Or have you ever been part of a church where, where those who are part of the church, they, they, they have tension with their leaders? Maybe they despise them or think little of them. You see, that, that is not the way 
that church is meant to work. That is not the way that God has designed his people, the church, to operate. That is not how Jesus desires to see his people interact. Instead, he has given us really clear instructions so that we don't have to figure it out on our own. In fact, if you look at the text that we just read, there is a description not only of how those in the church are meant to treat those who lead, but that built into it, there is a description of the responsibilities, some of the responsibilities of leaders in a church. And ultimately, where you land at is you see that those led and those who are led or, or who lead must be at peace. That's what verse 13 says. And so here's what I would like to do today. I would like to, hopefully with the ability to to not be self-promoting, I would like to walk through the scripture just like we would any other text. I would like to invite you to open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And I want us to open it up with these questions in mind. What kind of attitude should a church congregation have toward its elders and shepherds and pastors. And and not only that, what does a good shepherd, what does a good pastor, what does a good elder look like? See, see, based on those questions, here's, here's my plan today. Today, I want to examine what the scripture says about how a pastor treats the church. And then I want to examine how a church treats her pastor. And so let's, let's just read the text again. Well, let's read verses 12 and 13. And then from there, let's, let's launch into that. And where we're going to land, I hope, is with a, with, with a call to make sure we're doing everything possible to live at peace with each other. Verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Now, now the text begins, it begins with this word, those. This word, those, is referring to spiritual leaders. And this word, those, it actually is is used to describe three different characteristics of, of what a church leader should look like. Now, there's more than that. There's other places in Scripture. But this text in particular, it gives us three descriptions of what a shepherd who is on track looks like. And and so let's pick these apart one at a time. Let's examine these one by one. And and let's say, what does a pastor or what does an elder or a shepherd, what what do they look like? First thing, an on-track shepherd labors among the church. An on-track shepherd labors among the church. Look at the text. It says, those who labor among you. This word labor, it means to strive or to toil. This word labor is the idea of to struggle and to do wearisome work. Simply put, to labor means to work hard. Now, a few weeks ago, I was up uh, in the front of my house, and one of my neighbors was, was walking with their family. They were just, just taking a little stroll. It was a nice afternoon. And this is a guy that I know decently. He's a good neighbor. He's a good man. He goes to a church in town. He's a good Christian guy, right? And he, um, he told a joke that I'd never heard before. He said, oh, hey, how's it going, pastor? How's your one day of work a week going? <laughs> and he kind of said it tongue-in-cheek. He knows me. 
He, he sees when I leave in the morning and when I come home at night. He, he, he understands, and, and so he was being playful, but, but sometimes we have that view. Sometimes the view is that, that a shepherd or an elder, it, it's, it's the, you know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to read a few verses and say a few fun stories and then we're going to be done. And, and we don't realize that the requirement of a leader, specifically a shepherd or an elder or a pastor in the church, is to be someone who toils, who strives, who pours themselves into the ministry. This is... This is repeated in other places in Scripture. In fact, it's very important to remember that a shepherd's task is always going to be more important than the shepherd's title. Here's the reality. I understand this reality. Every week, well, week after week, I or someone else, we get to stand up here, and with the exception of a few people who fall asleep during the sermon, I have your undivided attention. I have a spotlight. I have people's focus. And sometimes we can look at that and someone could say, oh, I'd like to have everyone's attention. Ooh, I would like to be the center of focus. I would like to be the, in the lights, right? And, and because of that, sometimes people long for the position or they long for the title without recognizing that is not the, the pattern of Scripture. No, the Scripture doesn't have a problem with the title. But, but look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul actually, he, he gives a, a pretty good description of, of an elder or a shepherd or a pastor in the church. And look at where he starts, verse 1. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Because if anyone wants to be an elder or a pastor or a shepherd, their desire actually is not for the title. Their desire is actually not primarily for the position. Their desire is for the work. The work of what? The work of throwing yourself into your office and working through the text until you know that you're able to present the word of God in a way that is accurate and faithful and compelling. The work that is praying for your people and knowing your people and meeting with your people and looking after your people. The work that says, well, hopefully I'm able to name every person that I can that's part of the church and know at least some of their life and, and how to be praying for them. This, this is the labor. This is the labor of a shepherd. The problem is the spotlight can be bright. The problem is the title can be alluring, especially in today's world where, where anyone can have a platform online. You notice the text here. It says, those who labor among you. One of the challenges of our day is that you can go and you can turn online. You can find any pastor you want, even great ones. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But you can find any pastor you want, and they have no idea who you are. They have no idea how to care for you. You can listen, you can feed, and you can grow from, from them. But, but the priority here is, is on the work of the shepherd among the people. The shepherd's task is always more important than their title. The work they do is always going to be more important than whatever platform that they might have. But, but let's keep going a little bit further in 1 Timothy 3. 
Because not only is their task more important than their title, but you go a little bit further and you see that the shepherd's character is more important than their charisma. Now, when I say charisma, I mean personality. And, and there's nothing wrong with a personality, but look at the text. Verse 2 says, Therefore, an overseer or a shepherd or an elder or a pastor, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, reproach is not necessarily a word that we're super familiar with. To be above reproach is the idea that there can be no accusation that sticks to you. It means not that a shepherd or a pastor or an elder is without sin, because the moment someone says that, they're lying. The scripture says everyone is in their sin, right? But the idea is here, they don't have a practice of sin. They don't have habitual sin. They don't have unrepentant sin. They're not pursuing sin. And really, the idea then is no one can grab onto them. It's, it's like being a wrestler, I wrestled for a few years in high school, and when you wrestle, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get leverage over the person. You're trying to get a grip on your opponent so that they become vulnerable. That's what to be above reproach is. It's to have your character, it's to have your integrity to be at such a level that there's no accusation that can stick to you, that nothing can put you in a place where you're vulnerable to discredit the church or even the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the, the labor of a shepherd. The labor of a shepherd is about the task, not the title. And the labor of the shepherd, it must be about their character, not simply their personality. This is an on-track shepherd. An on-track shepherd labors among the church. But let's look at the second description. Not only does it speak of those who labor among you, but then the next part is those who are over you in the Lord. See, an on-track shepherd leads the church. Secondly, an on-track shepherd leads the church. The text says, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. That term, over you, it is a, it is a guaranteed to step on you kind of term. The term over you is the guaranteed, it's going to potentially step on our toes a little bit. You know what over you means? It literally means in charge of you. It means those who lead you. It's the idea of those who exercise authority over the church. See, this is a step on your toes kind of word because we live in a 21st century, incredibly individualistic society. When someone says, I'm in charge of you, our, our gut recoil reaction is to say what? Nobody's in charge of me. I'm my own person. You can't tell me what to do. But, but let's just consider the scripture for a moment. A shepherd or an elder in the church not only labors among the church, but according to the scripture, has an authority over those in the church. Now, this isn't an authority that's a blanket authority. You do whatever I say. The authority is nuanced in Scripture in different ways. But, but let's start by talking about what this authority looks like. See, first of all, a shepherd leads, according to this text, in the Lord. A shepherd leads in the Lord. See, the leader of the church isn't necessarily the, the smartest person in the room. I guarantee there are people smarter than me in this church. The leader or the shepherd of the church is not the wealthiest person in the room. 
The leader in the church is not, again, the most charismatic person in the room. The leader in the church is those who it's evident the Lord has appointed them as leader. All authority, according to the scripture, is appointed by God. Now, this isn't done by chance. This isn't done randomly. In fact, if, if, if you want to know how it's done at Valley, it's, it's pretty simple. What we do as a church, especially in terms of appointing elders or deacons, is we look for godly men who are already doing the kind of work of a shepherd. They're already caring for people. They're already aiming people at things like the gospel and the word of God. They're already leading their families well. And so when we identify someone like that, we we approach them. We say, we think God might be calling you to, to be part of leading the church. And so they end up praying about it. And they end up talking to their family about it. And we end up talking to their wife about it. And we, we end up saying, do we feel, not only do we as elders feel like this is happening, but, but you feel this call. Do you desire this noble task? And then, you know what we do? We actually announce the person to the entire church before they're ever appointed. We say, we believe God is calling this man to be an elder or a shepherd in the church. And then the church has 30 days, if they have any concerns, to come to one of the elders with it. You might say, hey, I work with that guy, and you know at work, he is so cruel to other people. He might be the nicest guy in the world at church, but at work, you don't want to be around him, right? Or you might say, you know, I, I hear the way he treats his family or the way he talks to his spouse, and it's, it's not right, and, and hopefully none of that ever happens, but, but the church as a whole has participation in the process. And at the end of those, that 30 days, then the whole church has the opportunity to affirm the elder. See, see we, we don't force leadership upon you. But as a community, as a community that trusts in Christ, we, we recognize who God is raising up to, to be leaders among us. This is, this is how an on-track church finds the leaders. And, and then the on-track leader, they lead specifically in the Lord. I love the way 1 Peter deals with us. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having a few of the key leadership texts in all of scriptures, but 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to listen along or even turn there, look at how it describes an elder or a shepherd. Peter writes, verses 1 through 4, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Time out. Here's what Peter says. He says, I am going to, as an elder, exhort the other elders or shepherds or leaders or pastors, and I'm going to do it as one who watched the sufferings of Jesus Christ and as one who is eagerly waiting for the glory that is going to be revealed at the return of Christ. And look at what he says. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, here's what Peter says. He says to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. He, he says to lead. He says to be in charge. He says to rule or, or to, to guide. But, but here's what I really want to focus on. Notice how the shepherd is to do this. Look at these descriptions with me. The first one, he says, not under compulsion, 
but willingly as God would have you. He says the shepherd in the church doesn't go like this. I guess I have to lead these people. He doesn't feel like compulsion, like a, oh, it's a chore, I have to, but he says, but willingly. It's not I have to, but I get to. I, I have the great honor and privilege and responsibility of shepherding and caring for the people of God. Look at the next description. It says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The leader, the shepherd, the pastor doesn't say, okay, if I'm going to lead, what am I going to get out of it? But instead they say, uh, if I'm going to lead, what can I pour into it? How can I eagerly care? How can I eagerly lead? How can I eagerly serve? It's not a self-focus. It's a others focus. The third description, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's what a shepherd doesn't say. They don't say, do what I say, not what I do. The shepherd says, follow me. Paul puts it this way. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, you see the, the vision for a shepherd or a pastor or an elder is to be one that says, I am following Christ in such a way that the church should eagerly follow me and the example that I'm leading. And then the final, the final verse here, four, says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When we refer to this text, it talks about the chief shepherd who is Jesus, the good shepherd, which means that every other leader, shepherd, elder, pastor, they are what's called an under-shepherd. This isn't my church. I'm not, the, I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is. This means, if, if I'm very honest, this means every sermon preached. This means every counseling appointment. This means every ministry decision. It is burdened by the weight of the reality that everything we do, it's to be a reflection of how the good shepherd wants his people to be led. It, that's why the scripture calls it a noble task. A noble task. A shepherd leads in the Lord. A shepherd doesn't lead for their own gain. A shepherd doesn't lead for their own popularity. A shepherd leads in the Lord. Now, what else does this look like? Not only does a shepherd lead in the Lord, but a shepherd leads by caring. By caring, by serving there's an incredible passage in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus, he, he has his disciples and the mom of two of his disciples comes up to him and she says, Jesus, I want you to do something for me. He says, well, what is it? And she says, when you come into your glory, when you come into your kingdom, I would like for my two sons to sit at your right and at your left in a place of power. She, she's kind of, asking for, for the favorable position and prestige for her sons. And Jesus, he, he explains that she actually doesn't know what she's asking because the place of prestige is always a place of suffering. But the other disciples find out about it. 
The other disciples hear that James and John, that their mom is going and asking for special favors from Jesus. And the other disciples, they react with, they become indignant is what the scripture says. And, And so Jesus then, in this moment of turmoil and conflict, this moment where different leaders are trying to stick their chest out and be the best and be at the front of the line and have all the position and all the power and all the prestige, Jesus calls his disciples together. Matthew 20 verses 25 through 28, here's what Jesus says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Here's what he says. He says, those who are over people in the world, those who are over people in, in the Gentile world, this not in the church, not in the spirit, but, but those who are over people in the world, this is how they act. They lead for their own benefit. They look out for number one. They they find their positions of leadership for what they can get, not what they can give. Look at these next words of Jesus. He says, it shall not be so among you. That's not how leadership works in the church. Those who lead aren't the ones who puff out their chest and say, my way or the highway. Those who lead are not those who say, what can I get out of leadership? No, no, no. Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus here, he says, those who lead, they lead through service. Those who lead don't put themselves first, but they put themselves last. Sometimes this is called servant leadership. Now, depending on how you define it, this can be a great thing or it can be a terrible thing. There's some that look at this and they say, you know what, servant leadership means that that a leader should do whatever those they lead want. And so a leader should have no backbone. And a a leader should never say what's right or wrong. The leader really just exists as almost a a doormat to do whatever it is. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Think about it like this. I I lead my family. I lead my children. And my children, when their room is dirty, uh, as the servant leader of my house, I I don't go and clean the room. That that would actually be one of the worst things I can do. Hey, child, don't, don't grow in responsibility. Don't grow in your own independence. Don't grow in your ability to to live life with values. I'll just do it all for you. That would cripple them. I lead them. I I serve and lead them by by either teaching them how or reminding them to do so. I I do what's best for them. This is what servant leadership looks like in the church. The, The leaders aren't bending over to make sure everyone is happy. No, the leaders are doing the work. They're toiling. They're striving to do what's best for the people they lead. And Jesus is the ultimate example of it. Verse 28, he says, for even the Son of Man, this is one of his favorite titles. It calls all the way back to the Old Testament. It's an indication that he is Messiah, that he is the only begotten Son of God. Actually, this is an indication of who he is in his identity. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Who deserves to be served more than anyone else who has ever lived? Jesus. 
He says, I didn't come to be served, but listen, he says, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. How did he do that? He did that by willingly climbing up on the cross, by willingly suffering, by willingly dying to pay the price for all of your sin and all of mine. He took our punishment upon himself, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then on the third day, by the power of God, was resurrected so that everyone who believes in him has been ransomed. They've been bought back. They've been delivered. They've been redeemed. And they've been made new. This is our example of servant leadership. Doing what's best for the church. A shepherd leads by caring But a shepherd also leads by protecting. This is one of the the key responsibilities of a shepherd. They protect the church. Even think about the image. The image is of a shepherd and sheep. We'll flesh that out again in a moment. But but look at where Paul writes to, to a young pastor, Titus, who is meant to appoint elders. And look what he says, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, describing the role of a, an elder or a shepherd or a pastor. He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who would contradict it. It's the saying an elder, a shepherd, a leader, a pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word. This, this is what an elder teaches. This is what a shepherd teaches and preaches so that they can do two things. First of all, so they can give instruction in sound doctrine. This is the idea of healthy doctrine. In the same way a healthy diet is good for your body, sound doctrine, correct teaching, accurate preaching is good for your soul. This is the role of an elder. But, but also, they don't just teach what's right. It says, and also rebuke those who contradict it. You see, elders have this, this responsibility of protecting the theological purity of the church. And this can be a difficult task because, because it, it's very easy to skim over or leave out the difficult places in Scripture. The difficult places in Scripture don't draw a crowd. The difficult places in Scripture don't make you popular with the world. In fact, there's times, just lowering my guard for a moment, there's times when I'm preaching about a text of Scripture and looking out and I know how the text is working in someone's life and I know that they're living the opposite of that text and there's times where you preach that and they don't come back. Now, that's never the goal. Let me preach till you leave. No, no, no. But the goal is to accurately and faithfully teach what is healthy, and refute anything that contradicts. Paul, Paul experienced this. Much of Paul's ministry was was correcting those who were incorrect in their theology. But but one of the most uh, clear pictures of this is when Paul had been in the city of Ephesus for three years. He'd been there three years. Now I think about that. I've been here just over three years, and I think about how... uh, 
we've grown to love each other so much. There, there's a, uh, just a sweet sense of, of church family here. And, and I think about him as, as he is preparing to leave and he calls the leaders, the elders of that church together and listen to what he says after he explains that he did not shrink back from sharing with them the entirety of the word of God. He did not cut any quarters. He didn't soften anything or water down any truth. And here's what he says, a fee, or Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 32. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember last week, be alert, be sober, be awake. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish. Hold on to that word admonish. We're going to come back to that. Admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what Paul does. He says, I'm leaving. And I know the moment I leave, there are going to be threats from the outside and there are going to be threats from the inside. People will twist the word of God. They will try to get their own following. He says, so I commend you to God, he says, and to the word of his grace. He says, the only way that you can stay protected from those who want to twist the word is to know the word. And this is part of the responsibility of an elder. Paul, in this moment, he has called the elders together and he's calling them to hold firm to this word. And guess what? Paul knew that there were fierce wolves in his day and, and, and there are fierce wolves in our day. There are false teachings in our world. You, you can turn on your TV in any moment of the day. You can log into the internet at any moment of the day and you can hear anything you want that will make you feel happy and very much, so, so much of it is completely incorrect. Things like the prosperity gospel. Oh, God loves you, and so he wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's false teaching. Things like the social gospel that says you are supposed to serve like Jesus served, and it, it's not about trusting in the death and res resurrection of Jesus, but it's about doing enough good things so that God will accept you. Things like... Uh, and a complete dismissal of the word of God. You can live however you want. You can sin however you want. You're forgiven. You, you can just throw off any kind of moral value and integrity completely. Even in our world today, we've got new iterations of it. You've probably heard of things like critical race theory, which wants to, to make us identify ourselves based on the color of our skin rather than the condition of our soul. And what it does is it actually strips away the gospel and the truth that salvation is by grace through faith. We live in a world that is full of these ideas. And one of the main responsibilities of an elder, of a shepherd, of a pastor, is to protect his people. This next, this next characteristic actually helps with that. See, a shepherd that's on track doesn't just labor among the people and doesn't just lead the people but third an on-track shepherd warns the church this connects with that last aspect 
The text says, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Admonish you. Paul said that he admonished the church in Ephesus. To admonish means to instruct or to warn. Now, it's kind of a scary word, right? If I were to come up to you after service and say, hey, can we get together for coffee this week? I, I want to admonish you. You would say, um, actually, I'm really busy this week. <laughs> Let, let's, let's push it back a couple of months or maybe a year, right? I, I, admonishment is not the kind of word that we're like, oh, this sounds like fun. But listen, admonishment is not meant to be this, this, this scrunched face, pointed finger, angry scolding, you gone done messed up. That's, that's not what admonishment is. Admonishment is meant to be a a loving correction. Admonishment is, is a big brother coming around their little brother and saying, let me, let me show you the right way to do it. Let, let me show you how to live according to God's word. See, see we admonish when we, when we correct false teaching. Honestly, we admonish when we, over and over again, we say that sin will ruin your life. We admonish when we say sin will ruin your life for the pulpit, and we admonish when we sit down one-on-one, one-on-one, and we say, what I'm seeing in your life will bring you nothing but pain. We admonish when we, we take a brother or sister in the Lord, and we say, hey, I see that you're, you, you've got a romantic relationship with this person, and they're not a believer, and, and, and I'm, I'm warning you, this is going to lead you down the wrong path. We admonish when we, when we call fathers to lead their families in prayer regularly to be the example of, of God the Father as they care and they instruct and they lead their own homes. We admonish when we say over and over again, time away from the word will lead to a life away from the Lord. And this is what admonishment is. It's a heart being poured out in concern and care. It reminds me of Paul's words in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says this, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone. That word warning in Greek is the same word as admonish. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Notice Paul is toiling. Paul is striving. Paul is laboring. And to what end? To present mature people before the Lord. You see, this warning is based on godly wisdom, not personal wishes. The moment a shepherd or a leader comes and says, I want you to do this for me, not based on the word of God. It's not based on wisdom. It's not true admonition. Secondly, the admonition aims at spiritual maturity, not not selfish manipulation. This admonishment has the the clear goal of everyone in the church, not just the leaders, not just the senior saints, not just those who have been following Christ for decades. Everyone in the church stands mature before Jesus Christ. This This is the work of a shepherd. A shepherd, what do they do? They labor among the church. A shepherd, what do they do? They lead the church. A shepherd, what do they do? They warn the church. This is what the church should expect of her elders and pastors and shepherds. Now, as I look at my time, we've run out of time, and so I'm not going to have to, I don't have to tell you how you're supposed to treat your shepherds. 
I, I, I'm off the hook. I don't gotta, I don't gotta self-promote, right? L- l- let me end with what the scripture says about how the church treats her shepherds. Let me end with what the scripture says. Not with what Mike says, but, but what God desires. An on-track church, first of all, respects her shepherds. Look at the text, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. To respect simply means to recognize and to appreciate or to show honor. Specifically, it's to recognize the character of their work, to recognize the value that their work brings to the life of the church. Now, we can apply this to shepherds really easily, but I want to apply it broadly. I want to apply it to to shepherds and pastors and elders. I want to apply it to deacons and to life group leaders. I want to apply it to our Titus II women mentors and, and, and the, the men's ministry guys who are discipling other, men's, uh, men's, other men. I want to apply it as broadly as possible. And I want to ask you just a simple question. Do you value those who lead you in the Lord? Do you value those who pray for you? Do you value those who are brave enough to come before you and warn you if your life is not matching the scripture, do you value them? And then secondly, not only does an on-track church respect or value her shepherds, an on-track church esteems her shepherds. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. To esteem means to reckon them or deem them worthy. It's to, to hold a view. And this verse is actually describes not just holding a view, but it says to hold a very high verse. This is the kind of text that can make a pastor blush. It, it, it actually means to exceedingly and have an exceedingly high view of them. Now I'm of the mind that says a shepherd should make this as easy as possible by the work they do. But, but you do this, look, in love. Most pastors I know, they're not looking for the applause of their church, but they really appreciate when they're appreciated. Most pastors I know, they're looking to do honorable, faithful work, handling the word of God, and then so in that, to be recognized as those who work hard, to be honored. Most pastors I know, they're really looking for exactly what the scripture says, to be esteemed highly, in love. Isn't that what a shepherd does? They love the church, and because we're a family, they're loved in return. And and all this comes to a head with the end of verse 13 that instructs not only the shepherd and, and not only the congregant, but it instructs them both. Here's how verse 13 ends. It says, be at peace among yourselves. This is really the call. This is a call to shepherds that they would shepherd in a way that that creates a culture where peace is easy, where those who lead, lead well because they work hard, because they care, because they protect, and they're willing to say the hard things in the loving way. Let me ask you, everyone in this room has some level of leadership, Whether the elder or shepherd or the stay-at-home mom caring for her kids, every one of us find ourselves somewhere in a a, a place of influence. Let me ask you, are you creating a culture by leading well? Are you creating a culture of peace? Are you being the kind of shepherd or leader or influencer that we just looked at? 
See, I, I suspect there might be some of us that are sitting here today saying, oh, you know what? I'm missing the mark. I've been a little selfish in my leadership. I've been just a little selfish with my time. If that's you, let me just invite you, just in the quietness of your own heart, to repent. To say to the Lord, God, I want to do this right. Help me. God, I'm going to turn away from doing this wrong. God, help me not to be so selfish. And maybe this means some of us go to our friends that we lead or our church family that we lead or our family that we lead and we look them in the eyes and we say, you know what, I haven't been leading well. I'm sorry. With God's help, I'm going to strive to do better. Will you forgive me? That creates such a context for peace. And the other side of the coin is equally applicable. Maybe there's some in this room who have not been following well. Maybe you have not been assuming the best of your leaders. Maybe you've been making it difficult for their, lead, their leadership. Maybe when they try to guide you or correct you, you ignore them or, or you push them away. Maybe you, you, you're making it difficult. Let me extend to you the same invitation to first of all go before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not been the kind of follower that pleases you. Just go before him and recognize his grace extends to you. His forgiveness is readily available. His cleansing is new all the time. And maybe that means you go to your husband or your parent or your life group leader or just even a, a friend in the church. Maybe that means you go to one of your shepherds or elders and you say, I want to be right. I want to grow. I want to be the right kind of church member. You see, there's not one of us that is exempt this morning from repentance. There's not one of us that says, I got this thing figured out in the bag done. This is, this is an instruction because here's the deal. Church is messy. Church is hard. Church is full of people. And it's really easy to do the wrong things the wrong way, but we have this grace that we return to over and over again. This grace that when we embrace it, you know what it does? It makes it so that those who lead and those led can be at peace. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we don't have to figure out this whole church thing on our own. God, I thank you that you have made your instructions clear. And not only that, you have, you have made your grace abundant so that when we come to you and we recognize that maybe we've missed the mark, maybe we, we're not leading correctly or following correctly, we can come to you in this moment and know that we have forgiveness through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And we can know that by your spirit that dwells in us, we can grow. We can change. We can be different and so, Father, I pray that you would cultivate in each of our hearts and minds, leaders and congregants, every one of us, I pray you would create a heart and, and a mind that desires to be at peace within your church. God, I pray that as we grow as those who are at peace with each other, that we would have a continued influence in this community, in this world, and all of it would be aiming at Jesus that more and more people would know that he died and rose again, not just because we proclaim the gospel, but because we demonstrate it with the way we care, the way we love, the way we lead, and the way we follow. 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.